Please take your Bibles and your outlines as we look at part six in the series, The Book of Jonah. Today's part is entitled, Jonah the Bigot. I'll read from Jonah 3, verse 10, into chapter 4, verse 5. My sources include John Calvin's commentaries on Jonah, a book called Preacher on the Run by Gordon Ketty, a message by Peter Bynes, The Beauty of Grace, and Verses the Beast of Sin, Studies in, the, in Jonah, The Prodigal Prophet by Bob Deffenbaugh, and then the book by Richard Phillips, The Reformed Expository Commentary. Before we read God's Word, let me update you on Andrew Brunson and let you know that his next phase of his trial is set for this Wednesday, Wednesday, July the 18th. Tuesday, the EPC is called for a day of prayer and fasting on Andrew's behalf. And we've talked about fasting before on Wednesday nights. It means to deny yourself um, a meal, food, um, so that you might focus your prayers during the mealtime and allow God to nourish your, your spirit uh, and strengthen your body while you pray. So it usually is uh, something serious. Jesus said, this kind can only come by prayer and fasting. He's talking about something very serious, and this is a very serious thing uh, a man who's been incarcerated for his faith for 21 months in Turkey. And uh, just an update from our stated clerk that is encouraging is that Andrew is well-known throughout the world, but especially well-known throughout Turkey. And now it is becoming counterproductive for Turkey to keep him. And so there is a better chance of him being released because now the sentiment toward Turkey around the world is not good which is not good for Turkey. Andrew is also a target in many people's minds because of his Christian faith in a country that uh, is predominantly Muslim. And so he is now being kept for his own safety in uh, solitary confinement um, with two others, two other inmates. And this is to protect him. Uh, so they're, they're afraid for him. They're afraid for their country. And so now the, the, the word is that there's a strong possibility things could go his way on Wednesday, that he could be possibly released to house arrest and then deported out of the country, which would be uh, a wonderful thing at this point. So please pray. Pray every day, but especially join with the EPC around the world as we pray on Tuesday because the court trial begins around 1 to 2 a.m. Wednesday morning our time. So we're asking all of our brothers and sisters in Christ to pray on Tuesday throughout the day and to fast, if at all possible, at least even one meal. Not the whole day if you, if you can't do that. Just fast one meal and use that time as a time to pray. Pray for Andrew Brunson, EPC pastor, who's being held for 21 months in Turkey for his faith. Let's stand together for the reading of God's holy word from Jonah chapter 3, starting at verse 10. Hear the word of God. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. And this is when God has sent Jonah to Nineveh to preach against the city to warn them that in, they had 40 days to repent and after 40 days he would destroy them. But God relented did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Chapter 4, verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, 
Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you for the prophet Jonah and all that we can learn from him. Teach us today, Father, I pray that you would, by your spirit, teach us your truth. And give us grace to hear it, Lord, and even apply it to our own lives and situation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. Our culture likes to bring up the term bigot whenever it feels like it. It's not a nice term. And so I use it with a lot of fear and trepidation. A bigot is defined as one who regards or treats the members of a group such as a racial or ethnic group, with hatred and intolerance. And if anyone fits it better than Jonah, I don't know who that is. Jonah was obviously filled with nationalistic pride. And so, yes, he loved his own people, but he despised all the others. All those others, all those other pagans like the Ninevites, which makes Jonah a biblical bigot. You have to wonder where Jonah picked up this conviction because if you don't know this, bigots are not born, they are made. Made by the people and the society around them. Our brains and our minds are shaped by the culture in which we live. Yet if you are truly a Christ follower, then race and nationality cannot be the determining factor in how you feel about other people. Or how you treat other people, especially those who are not like you. It's one of the beautiful things about the ministry that North Crest Baptist Church started years ago called Love Out Loud. It's an opportunity for us as a church, having been invited to participate with them, starts tonight with a worship service at the Temple Theater at 7 o'clock. Very casual, and I hope that you'll come tonight. Uh, It begins also tomorrow morning at 8 a.m., And Bo is our team leader, and we will meet with those from this church at North Crest. And I hope that you'll be there tomorrow and follow the instructions in the the bulletin, if you can. If you can come and be around some people this week that maybe you don't normally spend time with, it can be really great for our, our church, but most of all for your spiritual life, my spiritual life. Now, the last time we heard from Jonah the prophet, it was to announce to the Ninevites 40 more days, and Nineveh will be destroyed. And then the next verse says, the Ninevites believed God. Really, that's an incredible thing that this pagan country, this pagan people, this city, no delay, instantaneous response and repentance. So how did it happen? Well, I don't know, but I will give you a theory. I think in spite of the fact that This was a long time ago before technology had caught up to the world. The fact is, even a long time ago, good news 
just like bad news traveled fast. And I think the news somehow about the miracle of Jonah reached Nineveh before Jonah reached Nineveh. So you see what I'm saying? They heard about this man who'd been swallowed by a great fish and then heard about him. And some probably even witnessed him being vomited onto the shore, on their shore. I mean, can you imagine the sight if some saw that? Being vomited out of a fish onto the shore and and he's alive. So, uh, again, that would impact me if I saw that. If I heard about that, you're kidding. A human being literally came back from the dead from the inside of a fish. And so as soon as this resurrected prophet started preaching 40 more days, Nineveh will be destroyed. I don't know about you, but that would get my attention. That would get my attention. So what, what if you were given 40 more days to live? I mean, what if someone from the Lord said to you, 40 more days and you will be destroyed? Don't you think you'd get busy living? Those last 40 days. I mean, I think Andy Dufresne said it best in the movie Shawshank Redemption. Better get busy living or get busy dying. And as a pastor, I can tell you that the knowledge of having 40 days to live impacts you in so many ways. The Ninevites, they did just that. They got busy living. And it's really quite quite incredible that Jonah's preaching led to one of the greatest mass revivals on record. The Bible says in verse 5 of the text... All of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth, meaning they repented. You would think that after seeing a revival of this magnitude, Jonah would be set for life. I mean, if I was the one going to Nineveh, preaching to Nineveh, and and the whole city turned to Christ, I would think, wow, Lord, take me now. Not because I'm angry, because I'm so happy, so thrilled. To see God at works in the lives of these people, so many people, is a prophet's dream, right? For most people it would be, but not for this prophet. Instead, Jonah the bigot shows us that when it comes to growing in God's grace, none of us, none of us is set up for life. All of us need to be pressing forward and growing in the grace of God. So today let's look at three lessons from the final chapter of Jonah. And the first is this. Beware of spiritual setbacks. Beware of spiritual setbacks. And this happens in verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. I mean, God had said, tell this city I'm going to destroy them in 40 days. But the given was, unless they repent. But Jonah didn't see it that way. So he became greatly displeased and very angry. There's a part of me that that really resonates with the thinking of Jonah. I mean, when I watch a movie or, you know, hear some story about injustice, I really love when I see justice served. I mean, you probably do, too. You love that. And I'm sure there's a part of Jonah that was hoping that maybe just just maybe these wicked Assyrians were finally going to get what was coming to them because these were despicable people. Instead, God did what only God can do. He spared the wicked. He spared them. And so you see, Jonah was not angry with anybody, but he was specifically angry with his holy and righteous God. In fact, his anger was so fierce and intense that he would rather die 
than live. Look at verse 3. He comes to the point where Elijah the prophet came. He says, Now, Lord, take away my life. It is better for me to die than to live. Now, in chapter 2, Jonah prayed that he might live and not die when he was in the ocean and then swallowed up by the great fish. Now he's praying he might die and not live. Make up your mind, Jonah. What's it going to be? So I would call this a major spiritual setback. It's not always a bad thing to be angry with God. And if you are angry with God, you should tell Him. You should let the Lord know. And there are times when we can be angry. And the Lord is a merciful God and will listen to us in our anger for a time. I wouldn't call it the smartest thing in the world to tell God that you're angry with Him. But the good news is God understands us. And so, as someone put it, the best of men are men at best. The best of men are men at best. And so he understands that. He condescends to us oftentimes, almost like a parent in the face of a child having a tantrum. That's a tough one. And having been there many times before, I, you know, it's, it's a difficult thing to watch a child have a tantrum right there in front of the whole world, wherever you are. And as a parent, you're, you're torn between what to do. And, that, and that's God's mercy here, being so kind to Jonah. But the question is, why was Jonah so upset? Well, Jonah was angry with God for any number of reasons, but primarily for doing exactly what Jonah expected him to do. Because he said, I I know that you're a gracious and merciful, compassionate God. So Jonah knew the character of God. Look at verse 2. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? I mean, that is why I tried to forestall by by fleeing to Tarshish. I I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. I hope you catch what's going on here. The psalmist in the book of Psalms prays God continually for His grace and for His compassion, like in Psalm 86. While here, here is Jonah stating the very character of God, but not, not in praise, but in protest. And honestly, I think Jonah needs to be very careful because while the Ninevites had repented, Jonah had not. God had already put him in the belly of a large fish for his rebellion. Might want to be careful because this next little lesson might get a little bigger, might get a lot bigger. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews, if you would, in the back of the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. And it says, see to it. And that means you and I are to see to it by the grace of God. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So we are to watch our hearts. We are to guard our hearts. And to guard our hearts from bitterness. And you know, you you could have any number of reasons for being bitter towards people. I mean, I, I don't know all of your stories. I know some of your stories. I know my story. And I know that there are people it's hard to let go of that bitterness toward. But you need to... By the grace of God, you need to. 
Ask Him for the grace to forgive those that have hurt you. Those that you consider bad people. And ask Him for the grace to strengthen your heart so that your bitterness doesn't hurt other people. Because that's what the Scripture says. Bitter roots grow up and they cause trouble and defile many people. So there's a lot of people that get hurt in the wake of bitterness. So beware of these spiritual setbacks because when, when you're battling that kind of bitterness like Jonah, it really sets you back and it's, it's hard to come back. So beware of that. You see to it by the grace of God. And as God brings those people, it, it's very easy to think of those people, isn't it? I mean, as soon as I mentioned it, I'm sure they came to mind, right? So as they come to mind, Lord Jesus, help me. Help me to forgive. Help me to let my bitterness go. Whatever it is that's eating you up inside, let it go. It was killing Jonah spiritually. And so beware of spiritual setbacks. Number Lesson number two, be aware, not beware, but be aware this time of God's generous grace, His kindness. Back to verse 4 of chapter 4. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Have you any right to be angry? I mean, it's a good question. Basically, God asked Jonah, who put you in charge? The gentleness of God's rebuke here should have served as a reminder for Jonah that God was not only being gracious to the Ninevites, but also being very gracious to Jonah. There's no record that Jonah responded to God's question. And actually, I think that was pretty smart to just zip it, not say a thing. Even so, Jonah in the next verse wants to die on account of God's sovereign grace, his kindness. Yet he doesn't snap back with a witty reply. How many of you have kids that have always a witty reply for your rebuke? The last thing you want to hear, right? Maybe he was remembering Job. Remember Job, the Old Testament character? He voiced his complaints about God's ways until, until what? Until he came face to face with the Lord himself. And if you remember, Job changed his mind or God changed his mind. Changed his whole approach to the truth. In Job 40, verse 4, it says, I am unworthy. This is Job at the end of the book of Job, where he finally comes face to face with the Lord and says, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. Good call. And then look at verse 5. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, And waited to see what would happen to the city. Now let's read the next verse. Verse 6. We didn't read this already. This is new. Verse 6. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. Jonah may not be talking anymore because he is still angry about the fact that God has not followed through on his promise To destroy the Ninevites. So let's talk about that for a moment. Let's talk about this whole thing of of God not following through with his promise. Look at verse 10 of chapter 3 again. Chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So Jonah... And God, and this is a really difficult passage. And there are some translations that actually read, God repented 
of his judgment, which would lead to the interpretation that God somehow had changed his mind. And that would certainly go against our understanding of the of the immutability of God. The immutability is a theological term that means that God is unchanging. It would also go against the omniscience of God, that God is all-knowing. So, first off, let me say that it is because God is unchanging that you and I are urged to repent. God is unfailing in both His wrath, judgment towards sin, and His mercy towards those who repent. But secondly, it does beg the question, how could God forgive a city that was as wicked as Nineveh? Before I try to answer that, we need to all remember about the same question could be asked of each of us. How could God forgive wicked people like you and me? Because we are. How could he overlook the blasphemies against his name, the hurtful things that have been said against other people that you and I have said, the pain that possibly you and I have caused other people? How how could God forgive that? It's a good question. The answer is found in the Hebrew word describing the repentance of God, where it says he relented. King James says he repented. The word shub is used to describe the the repentance of Nineveh. The word means to turn back, to make a radical change in attitude towards sin and toward God, signifying turning from evil to good. But a different word is used of, of the repentance of God since God has no evil to turn away from, right? It's the word nakam, which signifies inward suffering. Basically, it means that upon seeing the people turn from their sin, God was moved to pity. So how can God forgive us for our sins? You know the answer. The answer is found in that cross. Because God literally suffers in repenting from judging our sins. Because of the compassion of God, He sent His Son Jesus to take our sufferings upon Himself on the cross. And Jesus died on that cross in our place. Don't ever forget that. That's the Gospel. Jesus died for me. Jesus rose from the dead for me. Richard Phillips in his commentary, he says, God placed the evil of all those who turned to Him on the cross of Christ so that He might justly repent of His holy obligation to condemn us. All because of the merciful grace that calls us to believe and to repent. So, number one, beware of spiritual setbacks. Number two, be aware of God's generous grace. Lesson number three, be aware of God's sovereign mercy. A little bit ago when we left off with Jonah, his mood had turned. I think we're starting to learn that Jonah is quite the moody type. Okay? He's happy now. God has caused this plant... This vine to grow up and provide him with shade. No doubt the Mediterranean sun could be terribly hot. Maybe Jonah even took the vine as a sign that God was coming around to his way of thinking. Who knows? Maybe Jonah had misread God's intentions all along. Maybe, maybe God still is going to destroy the city of Nineveh after all. But, of course, Jonah has completely misread God's intentions. So look with me at verse 7 which we have not yet read. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. This is Jonah's plant that he likes so much. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind 
And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Mahatma Gandhi wrote that during his student days, he read the Gospels very seriously. And even considered becoming a Christian. He believed that in the teachings of Jesus, he could find a solution to the caste system that was dividing the people of India. He decided one Sunday to attend the worship services of a nearby church. And when he entered the sanctuary, the usher refused to give Gandhi a seat. And he suggested that Gandhi go and worship with his own people. And Gandhi never returned. And here's what he wrote. If Christians have caste differences also, I might as well remain a Hindu. Take a moment and think about that. We better not have those kind of differences, should we? Think about God teaching Jonah a lesson in the middle of his predicament. Consider the patience that God has shown toward Jonah throughout this book. And as you do, I want you to also consider the providential, sovereign hand of God over the affairs of Jonah. Providence is a word that we believe in as Presbyterians. We believe that God is at work in the world in which we live, looking out for us, going ahead of us. Sometimes these providential circumstances don't seem good to us, but God is in control. So consider in chapter 1, God's sovereignty in that he sent this wind upon the sea that built this big storm over Jonah's ship that he was on. Then chapter 1 also, God provided this great fish to swallow Jonah, right? Chapter 2, God enables the fish to vomit Jonah. And chapter 3, it goes on and talks about other things that God did. Then chapter 4, there's several things. God provided a a vine to grow up over Jonah. Also in chapter 4, God provided a worm which chewed the vine, the plant, so that it withered. And then chapter 4, God sent a scorching east wind and the sun for Jonah's head. Which brings us to verses 10 and 11, the last couple of verses of Jonah chapter 4. And here's here's what it says. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. It's always God with whom we have to deal with, as He sovereignly provides for even the smallest details of our lives, even the details we wish we would, that He wouldn't provide for. But God does this, and in Jonah's case, he did this so that Jonah would learn that God loves to show mercy and that we as his people should do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God, just like we prayed in the prayer of confession. All right, whatever happened to Jonah? Well, the book doesn't tell us. It's a really abrupt ending to our story. It leaves us as the hearers of this story with the decision to write the end of the story. And so this is not the final part. We're going to talk about it again next week. 
One of Michelangelo's paintings in the Sistine Chapel in Rome is called The Prophets and the Apostles. He tried to capture all the faces of the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles. Art critics suggest that out of all the faces that were painted, none had a more radiant face than Jonah. Michelangelo was convinced that Jonah ultimately did repent and become a great communicator of the grace of God to his own nation as well as to the other nations of the world. I like that ending. I hope you do as well. Brings us to our verse of the week, which is John 3.16. A verse we know so well, but do we live that verse? That God loves not just people like us, but the whole world. Let's read it together. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, forgive us, Lord, when we are bigots, when we think of our own people and not those that you have concern for, that are not like us, from a different culture, from a different country, from a different race. Father, thank you that you so love the world, not just Americans, that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross. Whoever believes, whoever trusts, whoever has faith in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Lord, thank You for Your great mercy. Thank You for being a God of justice and knowing that You are always fair. We entrust all those things that we have on our hearts and minds into Your hands. Some of those things bother us, Lord, and concern us daily. Give us the grace and the wisdom to know how to respond. Give us the grace to forgive those who have hurt us or those that we love. And Father, I thank you for your mercy towards us, your grace, your undeserved favor and kindness toward us. Help us to remember, Lord, that you have forgiven us so much. Give us the grace to forgive those who have sinned against us. And Lord, thank you for Jonah, for all that we are learning through him. Give us grace to walk that, live that this week, especially with love out loud before us. And Father, we pray for Andrew Brunson, that you would set him free. Let him leave Turkey. Let him leave healthy, trusting you and back with his family. Lord, I pray for that for Wednesday, that the trial that he has been submitted to and subjected to, that it will go well Because you are the one who moves the cards, moves the hands, and pulls the strings as our sovereign, providential God. We pray for Andrew Brunson in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's close.